Good morning. Um, a few weeks ago at the, the vision night, um, Carl was um, mentioning on a few occasions that we are a happy people, and, and we are, aren't we? We are a happy people. And as he was saying that, I was thinking to myself, here I am, the first time I've ministered to you, and what am I preaching on? <laughs> Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I kept saying to myself, well, what, what an introduction. Some people interpret that blessed are those that moan. But we're not into moaning, but we are in to mourning. Could I just give you very briefly a kind of um, a, a background of my, myself? Me and my wife, Vivian, we've been in uh, pastoral ministry for over 40 years now. We started off in Dublin's fair city, great city, Dublin. We were there for eight years. Uh, full of characters, full of history, full of Guinness, wonderful place. <laughs> and after we left Dublin, we were in the Midlands, and we pastored a couple of churches there for uh, about 16 years. After that, we were right up into the northeast of Scotland, a place called Fraserburgh, where we saw God doing some great things. Uh, and then uh, we left there after seven years, and we've been here. It's getting now near... 12 years, and as Carl has already said, uh, we were pastoring there in, in Lifehouse Church for something like 10 years, and now we're here. It's wonderful, isn't it? Wonderful. Let me just tell you something. I've got to do this. I know my wife gets tired of me doing this, but I do have to do this, and it's about my accent, all right? <laughs> I was born in Belfast. At the age of two, we moved to Canada and we stayed there until I was 13, and then we came back to Belfast. Now, the reason why I'm telling you that is that people often, when they hear me, they're thinking to themselves, where on earth does that guy come from, all right? Now, I want you to concentrate on what I'm talking about this morning, not try to work out my, my accent. So from time to time, you'll hear the Irish. How many have heard the Irish already? All right, okay. How many have heard the Canadian or North American? Yeah, yeah, it happens every time. I, I do a bit of hospital chaplaincy on, on a Friday morning. And in, this, and in the same morning, one patient said to me, you're Canadian, aren't you? I said, well, not quite. And then another one said, you're Irish, aren't you? So people pick up the Irish and they pick up the Canadian and sometimes they pick up both, all right? So that's, that's something about my, my background. But what a privilege, what a privilege. Uh, to be able to stand before God's people and endeavor, try to open the scriptures. I thought about a title this morning, Blessed are the mourners, the mourners, for they shall be comforted. And I came up with this title, I hope you like it, Good Morning. What about that one, Carl? Is that a good one? You like it? I don't think I read it anywhere. Good morning. There, yes. You're an Irish lady, aren't you? Yeah, let's keep together, yeah. <laughs> good morning. There is such a thing as good morning. And although this wouldn't have been the message I would have chosen, I suppose, to be my first one, it's the one that I've been given. And so, with the help of God, we'll see how we get on, all right? Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Let me just read the first few verses, the Beatitudes anyways. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
Just a few uh, introductory thoughts, actually, before I come to the heart of that particular uh, beatitude. Uh, first of all, what Jesus is talking about is for the here and now. Blessed are those that mourn is a reference to something that we should be experiencing now. The comfort that Jesus talks about is something that we should be experiencing now. Now, if you want a description of heaven, I suppose the best place you can go to is the last two chapters of the book of Revelation, 21 and 22. And interestingly enough, when John describes heaven, he often refers to it by what's not going to be there. There's going to be no night there. The sun is always going to be shining. There's going to be no temple. There's going to be no sin, nothing that defiles will enter in. But here's another thing that's not going to be there. There's not going to be any tears. Read about it in chapter 21, verse 4. God is going to wipe away all the tears from our eyes. That's wonderful, isn't it? There's going to be no more mourning. But what Jesus talks about is something that we experience now. Jesus is not talking about pie in the sky when you die. He's talking about steak on the plate while you wait. <laughs> it's something we can enjoy now. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Another introductory thought is that what Jesus says here seems to be poles apart, doesn't it? Before they banned um, cigarette commercials and cigar commercials on television, there used to be a, a commercial that came on that I found very entertaining. And it was the one called, uh, Happiness is a Cigar Called Hamlet. Do you remember that one, do you? I used to find them very entertaining. I used to go out and buy a few packets afterwards as well, you know, once I saw the commercial. That was only a joke, all right? <laughs> I didn't buy a few, I only bought one packet, all right? <laughs> but what lights the fire of happiness or blessing in your life? For some people, it is having a good bank balance. Well, I'm happy if I've got a good bank balance. For some people, it is being around family, and we all enjoy that. For some, it is uh, uh, having good health. For, for, for other people, it, it is job security. Uh, di different people respond to happiness in, in, in different ways and, and happiness and, 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 and blessedness. But what Jesus says here seems to be poles apart. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. In other words, if you want to be glad, you need to be sad. I mean, that sounds a bit Irish, doesn't it? All right. If you want to be Happy, you need to be unhappy. If you want to be blessed, you need to be broken. Paradoxical. Not contradictory, but more of a paradox. Another introductory thought is this, that what Jesus says here doesn't mean that we've got to live miserable lives. Blessed are those that more. It doesn't mean that we have to live cheerless lives because the joy of the Lord is our strength, isn't it? <laughs> he puts his joy, he puts his happiness within, within our heart. The joy of the Lord is, is, is our strength. But unfortunately, sometimes Christianity is associated with gloominess, isn't it? <laughs> 
And we know it's not like that. I like the story of the young girl who was walking in the country with her mother and they were in the field and they, they saw this horse in the distance and the little girl said to her mommy, mommy, that, that horse must be a Christian. He said, what do you mean it must be a Christian? Well, it's got a long face. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, I'm just jumping, uh, another story is jumping on my mind. There was a, a deacon on one occasion who had to go to the train station to, to meet the reverend so-and-so, and he didn't know what he looked like. And so he said to himself, well, I know how I'll do it. I'll, I'll look for the most miserable person that I can find at the train station. And so he went down to the train station, and he was looking around for a miserable face, and he saw this very miserable-looking man, and he went to me, he said, excuse me, but are you the reverend so-and-so? He says, no, I'm not. He says, it's my liver that makes me look like this. <laughs> it's my illness. Hey, haven't said that, but there is a place for mourning in our lives because Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, when I speak on one verse of Scripture, I usually like to look at it in its context. And I've asked this verse of Scripture just a few questions. And the questions that I've asked are this. First of all, what does it mean to be a mourner? What does it really mean? And if you, if you know anything about the the New Testament Greek, and I don't know that much about it, and I don't want to give you the impression that I'm authority when it comes to the uh, original language that the New Testament was writ written in, but uh, there are different Greek words, and in the New Testament, there's at least seven or eight, or possibly even nine different Greek words for that one word, mourn. And, and the word that Jesus used here is very strong. It, it's, it's a word that talks not just about a, a tinge of sadness, but it really means heartfelt grief. I mean, I'm talking about real deep-seated mourning and grief. The word is pentio, if I remember correctly. And, and it's the word that was used of, of uh, Jacob when he heard that, that Joseph had been killed. He, he went into mourning. It's the same word that is used in Mark chapter 16 when the disciples were mourning the fact that Jesus had died, it is really deep, heartfelt grief. Is everybody feeling happy? Did I, this is the subject I was given. Everybody feeling happy? Blessed are the mourners, for they shall be comforted. Now we all know, don't we, that when we go through tough times, God is there for us, don't we? I was just thinking about this the other day. Uh, I became a Christian in February 1968. So I'm pushing 50 years following Jesus. Wow, when you say it like that, 50 years, wow. Doesn't time fly? And you know what? In my 50 years, I have always had a mountaintop experience. Now you're looking surprised. Listen to me. I have always had a mountaintop experience. Sometimes I have been on top of the mountain, and sometimes the top of the mountain has been on me. <laughs> hey, 
We can all identify with that, can't we? The mountain's been on top of us. And if you feel this morning that the mountain is on top of you, guess what? You're eligible for the comfort of God. If you're mourning, maybe, maybe the mountain of illness or the, the mountain of financial difficulty or the mountain of fa- family issues, we all face these mountains, and sometimes these mountains are on top of us. But the wonderful thing is, if the mountain is on top of us, thank God, we have the promise of God's comfort. I love that description that Paul gives of, of, of God in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. He is the God of all comfort. Could I have that, could I have that picture there of comfort on the screen behind me. The actual word means somebody who comes alongside of you. I'll put my arms around Pat. She's a lovely... Yeah, oh yeah, that sounds very appropriate. I've, I've brought a few fran, fans here this morning. They obviously have got nothing better to do with their time. I, they wanted to come and hear me preach for some reason. I do not know what. But thank you for coming. Thank you, thank you for your support. But that's the idea. It's, the idea is somebody coming alongside, putting their arms over our, our shoulder and saying, hey, we're going to get through this. Somebody strengthening us. Somebody helping us. Thank God for that comfort. But this is where it gets a bit tricky now. I think that the morning that Jesus talks about here even goes a bit further than that. I think the morning that Jesus talks about here is that morning that we feel in our hearts because of our shortcomings and because of our failures and because of our sin. I, I can only speak for myself, but I think it's closely related to what Jesus is talking about here is closely related. To, to repentance, where we feel a genuine sorrow within our heart for our sin. Have you ever been there? I have to say, I'm still there. <laughs> I, I, I haven't reached that place in my life as a Christian where I, where I feel I no longer need to be sorry about my shortcomings. Have you? If you've done it, please tell me how you've done it. Because I still mess up. Jim McGlade, after all these years of almost 50 years of serving Jesus, I, I still mess up. And I believe that Jesus, when he talks about mourning here, he's taking it to a new level. He's talking about how we think and how we view our shortcomings and, 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 our, and our failures. There's a, a wonderful psalm, Psalm 51. I love that psalm. I talked to one... Church of England minister who I said, I just love the Psalms. And he said, I hate the Psalms. I said, you hate the Psalms? (laughs) Psalm 51, that great Psalm of repentance. And there when David was confronted by Nathan the prophet over his adultery and his sin, he said, you are the man, you are the man. And, and he composed that Psalm in, in, in the context of the confrontation that Nathan gave to him. And in Psalm 51, he says this, The sacrifices of God are a contrite spirit, 
a broken and contrite heart, you will not despise. And then after that, he says, then you will receive our sacrifices. I, I still sorrow at times for my shortcomings. I'm still not the husband that I should be. I don't suppose there's any husband here or exactly where they should be. I, I, I still sorrow sometimes for my pride and, 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 and my greed and the things that I think. I sorrow. I mourn. But thank God there's comfort even in that because it, it brings us to that place where we can know and we can experience the forgiveness of God. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. John, he, he was a bit of a per perfectionist. John says, I'm writing these things to you that you should not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So, and, and, and in the chapter prior to that, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so when we confess, we know that he will forgive. We have a defense lawyer. Aren't you glad that when you mess up and when you come to God with sorrow in your heart, thank God we have a defense lawyer who, who God looks upon Jesus and he says, it's okay, they are forgiven. I find that tremendously comforting that when I mess up and when I confess, God is there to forgive. Do you find that comforting? Most of you are not in your head. Good. <laughs> I find that fantastic. Because the sinless Savior died, my guilty soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Wow. Blessed are the mourners, for they shall be comforted. And if there is even one person here this morning who as yet has never come to Jesus, and you're conscious of your shortcomings and your failures and so on and your, and your sin, I can tell you upon the authority of God's word that when you confess, he forgives. Jesus can give us a conscience that we can live with. So what does it really mean? I think, of course, he, he comforts us in all the situations of life, but I think it goes even further than that. I think he brings comfort to us when we are conscious of our shortcomings and our failures. Secondly, why is it situated here? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Why is that particular beatitude situated here? And that's why I checked with, with Dan. I said, what's your interpretation on the first beatitude? Because that's going to help me when I come to look at the second beatitude. Very important. I've never watched this program, but I see it advertised all the time. It's that program called Location, Location, Location. And it's all about people who want to buy a house, how much it's going to cost, can they afford it, where is it, etc. Location, location, location. Now when it comes to understanding the scriptures, I think there's a, a very important principle 
and it is this, location, location, location. Or if I can put it another way, context, context, context. I, I've, I've even heard preachers say this. You can make the Bible say anything you want. I don't think I believe that. Well, you could make the Bible say anything you wanted to, if you, if you wanted to. But God did not give us this word for us to make it say what we wanted to say. God gave us his word so that he can say what he wants to say. Do you agree with that? <laughs> not what we wanted to say. And so therefore, it's important to look at this in its, its context. And prior to that, Jesus said, you're poor in spirit. Bless are you who are poor in spirit. And then he says, because the Beatitudes are part of a whole, one leads to the other. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. We are bankrupt before God, aren't we? We're spiritual, spiritually bankrupt before God. We have got nothing. And why are we spiritually bankrupt before God? It's because of our failures and our shortcomings and our sin. And when you begin to realize that, you begin to mourn. Because my sin has separated me from a holy God. My spiritual bankruptcy has robbed me of the blessing of knowing God in an intimate and real way. And when you begin to realize that, you begin to grieve and mourn. Anybody ever see the movie Everest? Yeah? See, it has... I, 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 have to, I have to... It's, it's okay for me to confess this. I've always loved movies. I used to be a cinema projectionist, you know, many years ago. Oh, I saw some movies two dozen times. <laughs> and in the movie Everest, which is based upon a, a true story, they, they had, a, they had a, a base camp which enabled them to get to the top. And for me, that first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, it is almost like a, a base camp that leads the way to the next beatitude. In actual fact, it is a, it is a base camp, I think, for, the, for almost for the whole Sermon on the Mount. We build upon that. And being poor in spirit leads us to the place where we say, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I, I haven't got many claims to fame, but one claim to fame that I do have is this. I met a Christian author by the name of John Stott. Have you ever heard of him? John Stott. Fantastic Christian writer. I still, still devour his books. It was my privilege to have um, lunch with him uh, quite a number of years ago. But in his book uh, on the Sermon on the Mind, John, John Stott says this. It is one thing to be spiritually poor and acknowledge it. It is another to grieve and to mourn over it. Or in more theological language, confession is one thing, contrition is another. Yeah, you can acknowledge it, you're spiritually poor. But there needs to come contrition as well when you begin to mourn for it. Let me go on quickly, because it's amazing how quickly time goes by, doesn't it? What does it really mean? I think it means a, a genuine sorrow for a sin. Why is it located here? Because it, it just flows on from what Jesus said about being poor in spirit. 
the second one is, where, where can we apply this? Is, is, it, this, is this only applied in, 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 in my own life? Well, I think that good morning, going back to the title I had, good morning, grieves for, for the, the failures that we see within our own lives. And by that, I, I mean individually and, 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 and corporately. I, I feel, when I read Romans chapter 7, I, I, I identify with what Paul said because he was talking about the battle that he had with sin. And I, I know it's open to theological debate as to whether Paul was talking about this is, was an ex experience before he became a Christian or when he was a Christian. I, I just think he, he's talking about something he was experiencing at that pres present time. He was talking about the battle. And then he, he, he just said, oh, what a wretched man I am. Has anybody ever said that about themselves? I tell you, I think sometimes, oh, Jimmy, you're a wretched man. But then you can almost extend it to something in, Corporately almost as well, there was a situation in the church at Corinth. You read about it in 1 Corinthians 5, and Paul makes reference of it in his second epistle. He says there, there was a situation going on, and he said, you shouldn't tolerate it, you should be grieving about it. I, I look at the church of Jesus today, and I'm not pointing fingers, because every time I point a finger, there's always three pointing back at me. So we're not into this thing about judging, are we? But, but there are certain things that would make me want to weep. Some churches today are now denying the authority of the scriptures. I tell you, that should make us weep, shouldn't it? One minister said that the Bible has no more authority than your local newspaper. That should make us weep. I am the person who's going to be speaking on um, the light of the world. Later in the, the passage, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Wow, isn't that fantastic? I can almost imagine that when Jesus said that to his disciples, they looked behind them because they weren't certain if Jesus was talking to them. Are you talking to us? Yeah, you are the light of the world. Guess what? You have, to, you have to go to Bible school to learn things like this. Light is totally different to darkness. <laughs> I had to go to Bible school to learn that. Guess what? Christians should be totally different to non-Christians. That doesn't mean that we dress in first century clothes or anything like that. But in our outlook... and how we conduct ourselves, we should be different. Should we not? There was a, uh, this guy, George Barna, whatever you call him, he did a, he did a poll in, the, in a, a survey in the churches in America. And I know we can generalize too much, and sometimes preachers make sweeping statements which are too general. I, uh, no, I appreciate that. But after doing this survey of this, the churches in America, he came to the conclusion that there was literally no difference between the conduct of people in the church and conduct of people outside of the church. Friends, if that is true, we should be weeping. If that is true of the church of Jesus in Chesterfield or in this country, we should be weeping. Robert Louis Stevenson, 
the great Scottish author. Now that I'm in semi-retirement mode, I'm starting to read some of his books. I, believe it or not, a 66-year-old man reading Treasure Island. Can you believe that? I read it, and I enjoyed it. Shiver me timbers, I really did. I, th I thought it was great. Jim Ladd, very appropriate. And he wrote um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde that some people believe was an analogy between the, the carnal man and the spiritual man. Some people believe uh, that Robert Louis Stevenson had that in mind when he wrote that book, but that's, a, that's another story. But when he was a little boy, because he suffered a lot with uh, bronchitis and so on, and one day he was up the stairs as a little boy, and this happened in Edinburgh. There, there was a guy coming down with, the old, with a light, lighting the, 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 the gas fires. Remember the, how they used to light the street with the gas fires? And down the stairs, the nurse yelled up to Robert Louis Stevens. She said, she says, what are you doing, he said. He said, I'm, I'm looking at a man knocking holes in the darkness. The Church of Jesus should be knocking holes in the darkness. And if we're not, we should be on our faces before God crying. If we have lost our saltiness that Jesus said can happen, then may God help us to get our saltiness back. If we're putting our lights under a bowl, then may God help us to remove the bowl so that we'll be salt and light because the church of Jesus should be knocking holes in the darkness. And if we're not, I say it again, we should be weeping. We, and I think that's included in the kind of mourning that Jesus is talking. Good morning grieves for our failures and our, and our shortcomings. And there always is a time of repentance. And this man intends to take his, his repentance straight to the very gates of heaven. And then good morning also grieves for the sin that we see in this world. Friends, there's things going on in the world today that should make us weep. The psalmist said, Psalm 119, he says, tears of stream flow down my eyes because they do not keep your law. We, we sing that hymn sometimes, don't we? Break my heart for what breaks yours. I believe there's things going on in the world today that is breaking the heart of God. And somehow, in a super kind of natural kind of a way, I, I believe that when we mourn for the sin that we see going on in the world, somehow we're tapping into the heart of God. We're feeling the very feelings that go on within the heart of God. I tell you, I, I weep for child abuse when I see it. I weep. I weep for family breakdown. I see so many things that sin has produced in this world, and it makes me want to weep. When Paul went to Athens, that great city, and it was said of Athens that there was more gods than there was people, more idols than there was people. But when he went there, it says he was distressed when he saw the people that were given over to idolatry. And as we look at this world, friends, we should mourn, we should grieve, 
when we see what sin is doing in people's lives. And Paul mourned and grieved because he saw people giving a, a devotion to idols that they should have been given to God. And he wept. And he was distressed. And so should we. And so when it comes to blessed are the mourners, I think it's something not only we can apply for ourselves, but we can look in general and we can look in the world and we can just begin to, to mourn when we see what sin has done to this world and continues to do to this world. I'm not a long-winded preacher, usually 30 minutes does me, 35 minutes. Have I I've had my 30 minutes yet, Dan, have I? Yeah. You don't know, you haven't, you've been so taken up in what I've been saying, like the time is just, yeah, captivated, yeah. I, I think that the Church of Jesus needs to have a revelation of the holiness of God, once again. In fact, that's the attribute that the Bible talks about even more so than his love. I know we always think about the love of God, and rightly so. But the attribute that is talked the most about uh, God in the Bible is his holiness. And I think about Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah had that fantastic revelation of God. He had that vision of God. And he saw God in all his holy, holiness. And guess what that produced within him? It produced with him, woe is me! Up until then, he'd been pronouncing woes upon everybody else. But when he saw the holiness of God, he said, woe is me! He was confessing he felt bad about his sin. But no sooner had he done that, when the angels took coals from the altar and cleansed his lips. He says, you're clean now. That's comfort, isn't it? And I think about the death of Jesus. I think that it was my sin that placed Jesus upon the cross. How can I become blasé about that which cost Jesus so much? Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So when you leave here this morning, say to a few people, well, you can't now because it's not morning, it's p.m., but, well, do it anyways. Say, good morning. Good morning. There's such a thing as good morning. Can we just pray? Lord, applying that beatitude to us as individuals has been pretty challenging, but taking it beyond ourselves and looking into this world, we do, we do grieve when we see what sin has done to this nation. And it causes us to take action. Think about John Knox, the great Scot, who saw Scotland given over to so many things breaking your word, and it, it led him to pray, oh God, give me Scotland or I die. Lord, may we all have a similar attitude as we look into the heartache of this world and what sin is doing. May it lead us to action. We thank you because your word is true. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Lord, may we all experience this uh, good morning in, in our lives in an ongoing way. In Jesus' name, amen.